Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company on this glorious Wednesday, June the 15th. Woo! Weather's actually fairly nice outside. It's not yet 117 bazillion degrees outside. Enjoy it. It is summer. Got a great show lined up for you today. Got not one. Not two, wait for it, three guests on this hump day edition of the show. Coming up at 7.30, we're going to get our College World Series talk on today. Going to lead it off with Travis Brown, our friend from the Bryan College Station Eagle. He covers the Texas A&M Aggies. They seem to be one of the favorites to win the College World Series. What a great turnaround season for the Aggies as they only needed five games to get to the College World Series, did so with ease. Travis Brown will talk all Aggies in College World Series with us at 7.30. At 8 o'clock, we're going to keep the College World Series train rolling right along as Nick Suss, the man who covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Clarion Ledger, will be joining us. Ole Miss looked like they were dead in the water halfway through the season. Late season surge march through the regionals and the super regionals and they're a trendy pick to win it as well that'll be at eight o'clock nick suss from clarion ledger talking old miss rebels baseball and at 8 30 mini camp has begun so we have to talk to our guy john j Hendricks from sports illustrated who covers the new orleans saints He'll give us his thoughts on what he saw at practice yesterday for the black and gold so three great guests lined up for you today But not to worry. We're going to touch on NBA Finals. We're going to touch on so much more. So much more. Did I say, wait for it, so much more? But you know what else we're going to do? We're going to take your phone calls today. We want to hear from you. Hotline is open. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names, who joins me here in the studio, she's ready to take your phone calls. She hopes one of you will be the game changer of the week. We didn't have one last week. It made her disappointed. It made her almost cry. She needed a nap because she was so disappointed because the first week we had not had a game changer of the week. Will you be the game changer of the week? And will you make that phone call today? Hotline's open, 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. We'll also be unveiling our foodie poll question of the week, which is always our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. That'll be coming up in about 15 minutes. But we're going to start off with those Houston Astros. After losing yet again the first game of a series against inferior competition on Monday, when they fell apart late, well, their bullpen wetted themselves late in the loss to the Rangers. It looked like it was bad news yet again early in this game. 
Rangers jump out to an early lead. And you're like, uh-oh. You're like, uh-oh. You're, my first thought when I was seeing, tracking the game, if you will, last night was, thank goodness Kevin Foote is on his Alaskan cruise. Thank goodness he can't watch these games live. Because he's not allowed to, by the way. He can check in from time to time, but he's not allowed to watch the games live during the 30th anniversary cruise. But credit the Strohs. Because they rallied. And they got the job done. Gut check time in a big way for the Strohs. They scored four times in the eighth inning alone, capped by Kyle Tucker's two-run blast to take down the Rangers 4-3 on Tuesday night. Their lead is now back up to eight and a half games in the AL West, and they'll be looking to win the series this afternoon when the two teams face off in some afternoon baseball there in Arlington. First pitch is set for 105, and the game, of course, can be heard right here on the game. they got to figure this out now look are the Astros still one of the best teams in baseball yes are they going through a bit of a funk right now last couple weeks playing the likes of the Mariners the Rangers the Miami Marlins and struggling with these teams yeah they are But as we know, baseball is what we like to call a long season. And teams go through these lulls. You just go through these moments, these stretches, where no one can buy a hit, where guys don't have their best stuff on the bump. And that's what it feels like is going on with the Astros. Yet, despite not playing their best baseball the last couple weeks, which we can all admit, The Astros have not played their best baseball. Yuli, Gurriel, Alex Bregman are struggling at the plate. Urquidy, Garcia have been struggling on the bump. The bullpen has had moments of weakness. They haven't played their best baseball. Yet, here they are, still eight and a half games up in the AL West. (laughs) So, if you're an Astros fan, yes, They're not playing the way that you would like them to play. You would really, really, really prefer them to be playing at a higher level right now. It gives you pause when they struggle to beat the Texas Rangers. I get it. But remember this, Astro fan. Your team is still eight and a half games up in the American League West. They're the best team by far in that division. It's not even close. It really isn't. They are the runaway best team in the division. Stroh's improved to 38 and 24 overall. Impressive. They're 22 and 14 away, away from Minute Maid Ballpark. That's always a good sign, especially when it's postseason baseball. And look, yesterday, Urquidy was okay. He was not great. He had a yet another slightly above average start. Went six innings, scattered five hits, gave up three runs, all earned, struck out four, 
but did give up a home run. His ERA is 4.99. But this time around, the bullpen settled things down. Abreu, Montero, and Presley came in. Each pitched an inning last night for the Strohs. Only gave up a total of three hits, no runs, and only walked one batter in those three innings. So the bullpen, unlike the night before, came back out, was solid. Was very good, in fact. And look, Lowe hits that home run off Arkady in the fourth, and you're like, oh, no. And the Rangers are up three to nothing. But credit to Strohs. Bregman, (laughs) it's the type of at-bat that Breggs needs when you're struggling. What happened in the eighth inning for Alex Bregman is exactly what you need. So he grounds into a fielder's choice to the shortstop. Altuve scores on an error by the third baseman, and Bregman advances to second. And then Bregman will score on a ground-out to first by Alvarez. Sometimes you just need something like that to happen. Bregman only gets on because the Rangers decide to get the out elsewhere. But not only do the Rangers not get the out elsewhere, Bregman is able to advance all the way to second, and the Astros score a run. And then Bregman scores on a ground out by Alvarez. And Briggs got on the base pass yet again later in that inning. I'm sorry. Then he scores in that inning. That's right. So (laughs) this is kind of at bat in inning Briggs need. Gets on on a fielder's choice. Advances to second on the throwing error. Advances to third on Alvarez's ground out, which actually scored Michael Brantley Jr. And then Bregman scores on the two-run jack by Tucker. Bregman should have never been on base. But sometimes it's something just as simple as that that can kind of get you started. Now, Bregman didn't record a hit last night. Once again, he got on in the eighth on that fielder's choice. Went 0 for 4, but did score a run. That batting average is at 218. Cat was an MVP candidate two years ago. 218 is pub on. But Dusty Baker, the Astros skipper, is old school. He's going to leave Bregman there in the lineup, he's batting in the three-hole still. He wants his guy to, to, to get out of it. Dusty's an old-school baseball guy. Dusty played the game for a long time in the, in the big leagues. He's been coaching it longer. He's old-school mentality is figure it out. I'm going to keep giving my guy, keep having confidence in my guy. He will bat his way out of the slump. Maybe getting on base last night with the fielder's choice and scoring one of the runs that helped him win the game, maybe that'll get Bregman going. If you're an Astros fan, you are hoping that happens. Brantley, of course, maybe the most underrated player on the roster. 
two for three last night with a run scored, also drew a walk. Alvarez was 0 for 1 at the plate, got walked twice. Tucker only had the one hit, but it counted the two-run blast. Lineup didn't, you know, didn't put up huge numbers, right? They got eight hits. I'm sorry, they had five hits, scored four runs. Rangers actually got more hits than the Astros, but they got enough to win the game, and that's all that really matters. Once again, I tell this to people all the time. In Major League Baseball, you're not getting style points. You could win every game four to three, and it's not going – you could win every game 12 to two. Or you could win every game four to three, and the result's still going to be the same. It's still a win. That's all that matters. It's all that matters. Strohs, once again, will get back, taking on the Tejas Rangers. This afternoon, day baseball for you here on the game. That means no Jordy Holberg show. Not to worry, Uncle Jordy will be back tomorrow. 105 first pitch. Robert Ford, Steve Sparks on the call. You can listen to that bad boy right here on the game. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. But it wasn't the only baseball news to get to. You heard our guy Steve Wiley discuss it in the two-minute drill. To lose the no-no like the young man, the fella from St. Louis did last night is awful. Two outs, two strikes in the ninth. He's one strike away from a no-hitter. One. That's all it takes. Get that final strike or get him to ground out or whatever it might be, and it's a no-no for Miles McCullough. But it didn't happen. And what's awful about it, if you're a Cardinals fan, now you still won the game, so that's all that really matters. But he threw the pitch. It's a 2-2 curveball that he throws to Cal Mitchell of the Pirates. And Mitchell doubles it to center field. But the center fielder, they were playing in to avoid a drop-in hit. If he would have been playing in his normal position, Harrison Badar, who is a gold glover, by the way, that would have been the final out. It would have been a no-hitter. That's brutal. It's just brutal. You could see the manager of the Cardinals just put his head down in the dugout. They showed it on television. And he was just like, oh. Now, of course... Miles is going to put that on him, saying that, you know, his curveball was good all day and that, you know, he tried to overthrow it just a little bit. So he put it on him. But when you're watching the replay and you go, if the center fielder was just maybe a foot back in the outfield, that would have been an out and the no hitter would have been secured. But brutal way to lose a no no in 
the top of the ninth with two outs and two strikes. You can't get much closer than getting your no-hitter than that. Got to take a timeout. When we return here in RP3 and Company, foodie poll question of the week. That's our poll question of the day will be unveiled. That's coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Download the free The Game mobile app for Android and Apple devices. No matter where you are in the country, you can listen to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Today is the day you are going to sign up for The Game Clubhouse. Yeah, today. I know what you're thinking. RP3, got too much on my plate, my man. Nah, you don't. Trust me on this. You could spare a few minutes because here's why you're going to do it. Because once you become a member of our clubhouse by visiting 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com, which is free to join, by the way, you simply go to the website, you click on the Clubhouse Rewards tab. We even have a video posted right now to show you just how easy it is. <laughs> I mean, come on. Once you take a few minutes to become a member, which, by the way, you'll earn 500 points by becoming one, then you're going to have the chance to earn more points. You're going to have the chance to use those points and then win free stuff. Like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's Steakhouse down at Cypress Bayou. Mouth-watering steaks cooked to perfection exactly how you want them. Tremendous sides, desserts, adult beverages, the whole nine yards. In addition of a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester's, you can also win a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House. That's right. Gulf Seafood, fresh Gulf Seafood. Great fine dining as well. Oh, and if that's not enough, you can also win yourself a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen down at Cypress Bayou. Some casual fine dining. But you can only win those great prizes by becoming a member of our clubhouse. We also have tickets from time to time that we give away, Astros, concerts, and more. So go sign up for the Game Rewards Club today at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple, and you're going to be able to score great stuff. Astros winners rally their biggest comeback of the season, by the way, so far to this point, as they beat those Texas Rangers and even up this early week series, if you will. One game apiece. Tucker was your hero late in the ball game as he was able to hit a two-run home run there in the eighth inning to help uh, help put the cap on a 4-3 comeback victory over the Texas Rangers. Can the Astros keep it moving? And, and here's the thing. Once again, they're not playing their best baseball right now. They're just not. They're not playing their best baseball yet. They're still finding ways to win ball games. 
And they're in a little bit of a lull, losing a series to the Mariners, losing a series to the Miami Marlins. Right now, battling the Texas Rangers, which they'll be doing later this afternoon to win that series. Look, struggling against three teams that are below 500 is not optimal. Jeremy Pena being banged up and they sent him back to Houston for an injury or at least a precaution, not optimal either or either, depending on what part of the country you live in. Yes, the Astros flew Jeremy Pena back to Houston for further testing. That was reported yesterday. That's why he wasn't in the lineup. Dusty Baker said it's not Pena's wrist, but also did not reveal what is actually hurt. So the rookie sensation, a strong candidate for rookie of the year, is not in the lineup. Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel are struggling at the plate. Jose Arquiti is not pitching with confidence. Bullpen has had some issues the last few weeks. Yet, here we stand. And the Astros have an eight-and-a-half game lead in the AL West. Baseball is a funny game. Even when you don't play your best, you can still be the best team in your division. Even when you have guys in slumps or guys banged up, or players that have lost their way, lost their confidence, you can still be a great team. Have they played great the last couple weeks? No. But they're still in the driver's seat in their division. And they'll figure it out. Bregman and and, and Guriel will figure things out. They're too good of players not to. Now, will it take some next-level managing That's not a word. Next level coaching by the skipper, the manager, Dusty Baker. Yeah. He's going to have to use his veteran experience to to work with Breggs. Breggs is not the type of guy that you can send down to the minors, I don't think. And I think Dusty knows that, and that's why he's keeping him in the three-hole, even though he's been not good. Not good. I mean, you just, he's batting around 220. I mean, when's the last time you saw Alex Bregman struggle like that? I mean, I don't even think he struggled like that at LSU. Honestly. This is one of those career kind of slumps for the all-star third baseman, World Series champion former LSU star. I mean, you look at his career. As a rook, at the age of 22, he batted 264. Next year, 284. Then it was 286, 296. 2020, the pandemic year, he struggled, batted 242. He was better last year, 270. And this year, he's, he's having his worst year yet, 218. It was the pandemic years three years ago. My apologies. Three years ago. It was 2019 when he finished his runner-up in the MVP race. The year before, he finished fifth. So back-to-back top five finishes in the MVP. That was the 19th season when he hit 41 home runs, 112 ribbies. 
batted 296, career best. Hasn't even come close since. Last year was a down year for him, dealt with the injuries, but still was able to bat 270 with 12 home runs. Right now he's got six dingers, only 28 ribbies, and is batting 218. 218. He's too good of a player, too good of a hitter to be struggling as badly as he is. He'll eventually turn it around. If he doesn't, then there's a bigger issue going on with Alex Bregman. I'm just saying. You don't go from batting 284, 286, 296 and putting up the numbers that he was putting up then to all of a sudden just drop off like that. Pandemic and injuries, yes, but he's lost his confidence. He's got to find it back. Got to be able to get that back. Foodie poll question of the week is our poll question of the day on Wednesdays. Producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names is ready to comment about this foodie poll question of the day. It's hot outside, right? It's blistering hot. You're, you sweat just walking to your vehicle. But growing up and living like you have in southwest Louisiana, this is what you're used to. You're dealing with terrible summers all the time. So what's your go-to cool treat during a hot day? We've had plenty of them. Yesterday was a scorcher. What's your go-to hot treat? Your go-to cool treat, rather, on a hot day. Is it getting a snow cone? Is it eating some watermelon? Ooh, a lot of people love eating the ice-cold watermelon. Refreshing. Is it ice cream? Now, see, when I get really hot, I can't have the ice cream because I don't like the dairy on my stomach when I'm all hot and sweaty. I, I, I can't do it. I got to cool off a little bit before eating ice cream. Or is it old school freezer pops? Oh, man. Some old flavor ice. Yeah, now we're talking. Right now, leading the vote on our foodie poll question of the day, what is your go-to cool treat during a hot day? 66% of you say freezer pops. Grape was always my favorite. That was my go-to. If I could choose the freezer pop flavor, it was either grape or strawberry. That's what I would go for. And then sometimes you'd have to be stuck with lemon. And you're like, eh, or banana. Like, nope. Nope. Don't want these. Don't want these. Then you look in the freezer and your mom refuses to buy any more until the old ones are out. And then you look in the freezer and it's nothing but yellow. <laughs> and you're like, I guess we're not getting any more freezer pops. Let me go down the street into my friend's house and see if they have any that's different flavors. But what's your go-to cool treat during a hot day? 66% of you say freezer pops. 17% say ice cream. 17% say snow cones. No votes yet for watermelon. Hart on Twitter says, while all these options taste great for me, it's hard to beat a cold glass bottle of water in this Louisiana heat. And of course, you shared a gift of the water boy. JPK, the OD says, am I doing this right? <laughs> He's got brown liquor in a glass with a popsicle inside of it. <laughs> yes, yes, JPK, the OD. Bravo, bravo. 
Keep voting on our poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What is your go-to cool treat during a hot day? Is it a snow cone? Is it delicious watermelon? Is it ice cream or is it a freezer pop? Vote and leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter, of course. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. JPK the OD going with the adult beverage at 6.30 in the morning. On on one level, I'm afraid. On another level, I respect it. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll put the baseball talk aside briefly. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints mini camp. Got to hear from a slew of different players yesterday. We'll share that with you. That's coming up next on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Oh, the game is turning 10. We're having a birthday party, and you are invited. No, seriously. You're invited. I'm inviting you right now, this morning, on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company. Look, we're celebrating 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at B-Dubs Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey a week from today. Let's go! Week from today, birthday party. There will be delicious wings. There will be amazing door prizes, including station swag. I'm talking shirts. I'm talking koozies. Astros tickets. A 50-inch television donated by AVI. Car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet. A gift card from Partners Limited and so much more. In addition... Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party. And I'm talking Matt Miguez and James Mesh will be on site. Woo, little meet and greet time. You want to come meet the fellas? This is the perfect time to do so. So come join us at B-Dubs a week from today. Wednesday, June 22nd from 5 to 9 for the game's 10th birthday bash. What? What? Hannah, five names. The producer extraordinaire is already raising the roof. Last time I checked, I don't think that's what the young kids are doing these days. Someone has an old soul. Appreciate you. Minicamp has begun across the NFL. Saints got to work yesterday. And look, there seems to be a lot of buzz, a lot of positive vibes, if you will, coming out of Metairie in the Saints headquarters based on what's happening. Like the players seem excited. They're they're, they're ready to get this Dennis Allen era up and running. And the participation that you're getting from voluntary workouts to now minicamp is a great sign that uh, everyone is bought in. 
everyone's bought in. Alvin Kamara was there yesterday. Mark Ingram was there yesterday. Pete Werner, Will Lutz, the whole gang. Michael Thomas, everyone seems to be on board here. That's a great, great sign, especially it, it being only June. Now, still plenty left, right? You still have to go through mini camp. You still have to go through training camp preseason. You hope no one gets injured. Knock on wood. But there's a level of excitement building in New Orleans, despite what national media pundits tell you. I don't know what it is about their viewpoint of the Saints. They are they're just they don't like them or they are just lazy in their opinions. Well, wait up. I think it may be the latter. Pete Werner made a bit of an impact last year, kind of turned some heads with his play, linebacker out of Ohio State, and he really worked very well with all-pro linebacker and team leader, team captain, DeMario Davis. And Werner talked about, you know, how does he and DeMario work together on the field? We work well together. He's, we're both smart players. I would say that you put two intelligent guys out there, you're able to mix up a lot of different looks. I would say that, you know, we played a good amount of football and having a year with chemistry helps a lot. So we can only build on that. But uh, I say we complement each other very well. That is the look, DeMario's really, really intelligent. And the, the, the word is Werner is as well. And the Saints like having that. They do. And it, when you have guys that are intelligent, that usually means they're also versatile. And that allows you to do different things defensively. Because if you have someone that's intelligent enough, they can do multiple things for you. That gives you more flexibility in what you do. That can allow your defense to have more exotic packages, different schemes and whatnot. It, it, it has a ripple effect, if you will. And for Werner, you know, the biggest adjustment you always hear from guys once they get to the league is that things, how fast everything is, how fast they have to process the playbook, how fast they have to process the game, how fast the actual game is. Because in the NFL, you're not playing against, you know, the little sisters of the poor on your schedule like you do in college. This is not how this works. Everyone was all-conference, all-American at at the previous stop that's what every team is filled with so the speed of the game and understanding how to play the game is something a lot of guys have to adjust to and Werner talked about how things are starting to kind of slow down for him yeah I would say one year under the belt things start to slow down it becomes a little bit easier you can pick up on certain tendencies uh, play it a little bit faster understand what's coming rather than kind of reacting in certain situations his development is why they haven't made sure to bring back Quan Alexander. The coaching staff, in particular Dennis Allen, is very high on Pete Werner. They saw enough from him last year where they believe that he is their starting linebacker on the side of DeMario moving forward. Now, I still think they would like to bring back Quan Alexander just to have that versatility and have another very good linebacker. You can't have enough quality players, right? Let's just be honest. But that's part of it here. His intelligence, his grasping of the playbook, his bond with DeMario Davis, these are all things that have impressed the coaching staff to the point where if they have to start the season today, Pete Werner's a starting linebacker, 
and they don't need Quan Alexander. Just keep that in mind. Running back is a position we've talked a lot about this offseason. Trying to figure out what's going to happen with Alvin Kamara, right? But that case may get kicked down the road even further. So he may not even have to deal with a suspension this year. But that's, you know, they're going to have to figure that out. But then there's the depth behind Kamara. Mark Ingram was brought in last year during the season, reunited with the Saints. He gave them some good reps, right? Gave them some good reps. But the big question mark is, who else is going to be in the backfield? The young man out of Baylor, the undrafted rookie who they gave a quarter of a million dollars guaranteed money to, you would think he's in the mix. Tony Jones Jr. is in the mix. David Johnson came in for a tryout yesterday. But Ingram, reports are, coaching staff still really likes him. Could be a reason why they haven't overspent for another running back because they still think Mark Ingram has something left in the tank. We'll see about that. But what about the offense? You know, Ingram was there for a long time, played for Sean Payton for a long time during his two stints, and he's been coached up by Pete Carmichael. And he was asked yesterday, what's it like, you know, going through workouts, going through practice with Pete Carmichael as the guy? I don't see any difference in him. I mean, he's kind of always been in that role, even over the years. Sometimes he's called games. He's installed plays in front of the team. So, I mean, he's the same old Pete, you know, the mad scientist. Just uh, drawing up plays, drawing up schemes so we can go out there and cause havoc. So uh, I haven't noticed anything different. Everybody's just, just still cool, still same bloodline, still the same culture. Everything's going smooth. Do I think the offense is going to look exactly like it would if Sean Payton was there? No. But I think it's going to look a lot like it. And I think the terminology and how to relate to the players is going to make that transition easy for Dennis Allen taking over as head coach because Pete is going to handle the offense and it's going to be very much like Sean Payton ran. Now, the big difference I think is going to be in-game decision-making. Sean sometimes likes to play it fast and loose and make decisions and challenge plays where you go, what are you doing? Why are you challenging that play? Or it's third in six inches and he goes four wide in a formation instead of just you know lining up and picking up the first down the old-fashioned way. So that, that's the big question mark for me when it comes to the offense. How do they handle in-game scenarios? Because sometimes Sean, you know, was a bit of a gambler. Jameis Winston, obviously, is your number one on the quarterback depth chart. He's still coming off the offseason surgery, but he's making great progress. And, you know, he's been in this system now. This will be year number three for him. Remember last year, he was the starting quarterback, got injured the year before he was the backup. So this is season number three for him, and he can give some perspective about what the offense looks like and everything like that. And this is what he had to say about Carmichael as well. The great thing is he's been the same guy since when I first got here. His mind, uh, his attention to detail, being in the meetings, he's been basically in that same role. Uh, and I, after preseason, I got a chance to hear him call plays uh, then. So I'm, I'm very used to, uh, to Pete. And uh, he's been in this scheme for, for 16 years. Like he, He's excellent at what he does. And we tr- honestly, we trust Pete with this whole offense like, because this, this is his offense too. 
So there you go. There's going to be that consistency there. There's that level of trust built up between the guys. Something else that's becoming abundantly clear during voluntary workouts and during practice this week is just how much of an impact Jarvis Landry's making, the man they call Juice. And Winston's developed a great rapport with him, and this is what he had to say about the former LSU Tiger. I think that's one thing about having a, a veteran guy with, with great savvy. Like he's just a baller who knows how to get open, right? And I really admire that so much about him because it's 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 a part of that where uh, that's that's the receiver's job, right? Hey, get open. Like no matter how detailed the route is, no matter you know the, the, the specific coverage, man. When you find a way to get open, you get the ball. There you go. You get the ball. And one more, another thing that's caused a lot of buzz about the Saints is. Will Lutz finally being cleared to come back. Their stud kicker, a great kicker, right? They didn't have him last year. That played a role. Remember, they went through kickers like it was going out of style because they couldn't find anyone that was worth a darn. Lutz is back. He made the announcement on social media that he'd been cleared. Lots of lots of people excited about that because your special teams just went up another level with a healthy Will Lutz. And this is what he had to say, the details, so to speak, about the injury that he suffered. Look, I had a core muscle injury. However, you know, people, some people call it sports hernia. And unfortunately, it took multiple surgeries to fix. And, you know, that, that area is what I use on a daily basis. So, you know, it's different than other guys that have this kind of injury. It, um, I rely on those muscles, and um, it's just a longer process than other people. And, but fortunately, we, you know, we got through it, and training staff did a great job, and finally back. So that, that's this. Because he's a kicker, he uses the, his core differently than other players do because of the, the motion that he utilizes to kick, right? That's why the progress was so slow for him to recover, and he needed multiple surgeries to fix it. Now he's cleared. He's healthy. He'll still be working on building up his strength, but having Will Lutz back and having him back healthy, a huge shot in the arm, so to speak, for this Saints offense. Because last year they couldn't depend on a single kicker to make a kick at all. We got to take a timeout. When we come back here on RP3 and Company, we will wrap up our number one. We'll check in on the poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. And heck, if you want to get a phone call in, give us a holler. Game hotline's open 337 706 0111. That's 337. 337- 7060111. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Sign up right now for the Game Rewards Club at 1037thegame.com so you can score tickets, gift certificates, and more. This is the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Lafayette Marble and Granite is the South's largest culture marble factory. And look, they pride themselves on earning your business. And you already know that LMG provides show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens and your bathrooms. That you know. But did you know that they can also take your outdoor living space or your man cave area to another level and help you and your home become the envy of your neighborhood during game days in the fall? We know 
how much you love to entertain cheering on the UL Raging Cajuns or the LSU Tigers, McNeese Cowboys, or the New Orleans Saints. LMG knows that too. They want to help take that space to the next level. Visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the great products that they have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday, which, by the way, is today. Go check out their website once again, the great products they have to offer and the live inventory. Or, you know what? Simply stop by their showroom. Located on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford and the Jockey Lot, Lafayette Marble and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Go visit lmgelite.com today. Let's check in on the poll question of the day. It's our foodie poll question of the week. What's the go-to cool treat on a hot summer day? It has been sweltering of late. What's your go-to? How do you cool off? Maybe as when you were a kid or even now as an adult. JPK, the OD, went the adult route. What is your go-to cool treat during a hot day? 42% of you say snow cones. 31% say freezer pops. 16% says ice cream. 11% of you say watermelon. Brad on Twitter says, Coca-Cola Icy. Wish they still put them in the baseball cups during the summer. Ooh, I remember that. That was the jam back in the day. Another would be a slush puppy. There you go. Oh, yeah, got to get the slush puppy. Go down to the corner store, get you the slush puppy or the Icy. Now you're talking. Now we're talking. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. Once again, What's your go-to cool treat during a hot day? Is it snow cones, freezer pops, ice cream, or watermelon? We also take in write-in votes. That's going to do it for hour number one. Hour number two coming up. We're going to talk Saints. We're going to talk Astros and so much more. That's next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Welcome back to RP3 and company right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Hour number one in the books. Hour number two has arrived. Travis Brown. That's right, Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle. Texas A&M reporter is going to join us and we start looking ahead to the College World Series, which will begin on Friday. He's one of two guests we have today that's going to break down the College World Series. Travis Brown will join us half an hour from right now at 7.30. And then an hour from right now, Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger, who covers the Ole Miss Rebels, will join us as four of the eight teams in the College World Series field reside in the SEC West Division. Houston Astros, big winners 
last night rallied their biggest come-from-behind victory of the season as they defeat those Tejas Rangers, those little annoying Texas Rangers. Take them down, and they get back on track. They even this series a game apiece with a 4-3 win last night. Kyle Tucker with the two-run blast there in the eighth inning to cap off. The Astros scoring all four of their runs in the eighth in the 4-3 victory. The two teams will get back at it today, this afternoon, rather. Day baseball for you. That's right. No Jordy Holberg show today. We'll have a little bit of crunch time of Miguez in mesh after the Astros game. First pitch is scheduled for 105 from Arlington. Astros Rangers, of course, you can listen to it live right here on the game because, you know, we are your home for the Astros. Had to fight through to get the victory yesterday, right? Or last night, rather. Wasn't pretty. Just wasn't. But they got the job done. And I said it before, and I'll say it again. You don't get style points in baseball. You don't get style points. It doesn't matter. You win 12-2, to two, you win 4-3. to three, It does not matter. As long as you win the game, that's all that matters. And the Astros are in a little bit of a slump right now. Jose Arquiti, Luis Garcia, not pitching their best. Bullpen has had some moments where they've broke down. Alex Bregman, Yuli Gurriel are struggling at the plate. Having, you know, their worst seasons as pros for both of them. Yet, in spite of all that, they still have an eight-and-a-half game lead in the AL West. Even with everything going on. And now Jeremy Pena is banged up the sensational rookie shortstop. They sent him back home to Houston for some testing. They won't reveal exactly what's wrong with Jeremy. But Dusty Baker said it is not a wrist injury. So, there you go. But, sometimes when you're struggling, like they have been, losing the series to the Mariners, losing the series to the Marlins, in danger of losing this series to the Rangers... You just need to get back on track. And an ugly win where, you know, you take advantage of an error on a fielder's choice to score a run, to start the rally there in the eighth inning. Bregman was the one that hit into the fielder's choice. Sometimes that's what you need. And just to kind of get you back on track, so to speak. And Jose Altuve afterwards in last night's after last night's victory on the road in Arlington, said, you know, how big of a deal it was for them to get the win last night. Uh, You know, it was obviously a good win. Uh, They they played really good yesterday. They beat us today. They were, you know, right out there. And just to be able to come back and win this game is is important for us. You know, that's what we're trying to do. And, yeah, the way we did it, it it was good. You know, Tucker hitting the, the big homer. And then a couple good plays in the end uh, gave us a win. The eighth inning rally. You, you, you don't see this a lot in baseball. You know, they hadn't scored a single run until the eighth. And then they got the rally started. And Altuve was part of that. And he talked about, you know, that late rally in last night's win. 
You know, again, I got behind me one of the best hitters in Bale. You know, I got on base and then quickly he got another base hit. You know, that's the kind of guy he is. And then giving the chance to Bregman and, and Jordan, which, you know, probably best hitter in baseball right now. You know, it's, it's good for us. And then, you know, Tucker right after him and hitting the homers, another great hitter. So, you know, I'm glad the way we did it and happy that we won the game. He's so soft-spoken. He's so soft-spoken, right? It, but he, he's a little firecracker of a player, but just, you know, he's not demonstrative, and he's just very, just well, you know, you, you, you feel like you're talking to an accountant. Uh, Jose, um, got some tax issues, man. Uh, what are we going to do about it? Oh, we're going to do this. All right, bud. Thanks. Make me feel good. I'm nice and calm now. feel like I need to go rest in a hammock. Kyle Tucker, of course, you, you heard it there. Altuve mentioned it. Kyle Tucker caps off the scoring for the Strohs last night with that two-run blast in the eighth inning. And he talked about stepping up in a big way for the team there with his hit in the eighth. I was just trying to hit the ball not into the <laughs> infield, playing in right there to try to get the run in. Like, just trying to get to the outfielder as, or just as far as possible just to try and get the run in. Um, but he just threw it slider over the plate and I put a good swing on it so it worked out really well you know also was key there in that eighth inning you know when Bregman gets on with the fielder's choice and then advances the second is the decision by Corey Seager who the Rangers paid a ton of money for in the offseason by the way making the decision to go home and not to get the double play and Tucker spoke about that I don't know I don't know who's on first Mike um, I don't know how close it would have been at um, second trying to turn trying to turn it, but I'm sure. I mean, he just probably saw Jose take off the home and figured he could get him out there and save a run. So, um, I mean, it just worked out in our favor with the ball getting getting past the third third baseman. So, you know, that was kind of the you know big big moment for us right there. It was a huge moment. The rally and the comeback victory may not happen if Seager doesn't make the decision that he does. Because not only does Altuve score, everyone else advances. It's a bit it was a big moment in last night's last night's game. And not deciding not to get the double play opened the door for the Strohs to be able to mount that rally and continue it in the eighth inning to win the ball game in. Skipper Dusty Baker, he's seen a lot of baseball in his time as a player and as a manager, and he was asked about the Rangers deciding not to get the double play. How surprised were you that they did try to turn two there and came home? Well, not really. Uh, thing about it is, you know, with the with the unorthodox defenses that 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 are played these days, second baseman was way, Simeon was way on this side of the bag. And, I didn't see the replay. I don't know if he could have gotten there to turn two anyway, but, you know, whatever, you know, we'll take. <laughs> I love, I love, you got to love Dusty. He's just old and salty. He's like, ah, whatever. We'll take it. It, it, it. He does have, brings up a fair point that the second baseman for the Rangers was playing so far back. You don't know. And so far away from the bag, you don't know if he would have been able to turn two there. Right, it, it might it might have been immensely difficult. So, look, it's a bang bang play. You have to make that decision in a split second. 
And obviously the Rangers made the wrong decision. And look, you're dealing with Altuve. Altuve is pretty fast. So he's small, little mighty mouse. I think that's what Foot calls him. Right? He, he can get after it, man. He can get after it. But, you know, that opened up the door. And once again, credit the Strohs for taking advantage. It wasn't the prettiest of games. They're not playing pretty baseball right now. They're just not marching, you know, mowing down people like the Yankees are. The Yankees are playing like the best team in baseball. Give them credit. The pinstripers, I know a lot of you hate them. I don't hate the Yankees, let me be clear. I appreciate their history. And you can't tell the story of Major League Baseball without the New York Yankees being a huge voice or huge character in said story. Now, do I like what they kind of spearheaded in baseball by, you know, spending $100, $150, $200 million on payroll and then everyone else try to follow that? Red Sox, Dodgers? No, I'm not not a huge fan of that. But once again, George Steinbrenner was allowed to do what he wanted to do. It was his team. And if you don't like the Yankees buying up all the players, well, you buy them. That's how that works. But the Yankees are the best team in baseball right now. But the Strohs are still one of the best teams in the American League, even with this lull that they're going through. So it doesn't look great. They're not the prettiest of games. But once again, you don't earn extra points. It's not as if they give you a trophy at the end of the year when they're handing out the hardware after the World Series and says, guys, guess what? You won the games in the prettiest of fashion. Here you go. You're welcome. That doesn't get passed out. Sorry. Sorry to disappoint you. This is not how it works. You simply go out there, play your tail off, get the dub. But that wasn't the only big news of the night in Major League Baseball. We had a no-hitter get broken up in the ninth inning with two outs and two strikes. It's brutal. It's brutal. And any man who works at having a mustache like Miles McCollis does, I, you know, you want to root for him. Loses the no-hit bid with two outs in the ninth with two strikes. <laughs> and you saw the hit. If you watch the highlights or watch the replay, I know we have a lot of Cardinal fans in this area. Shout out to the good brother Ben Love. And Jordy Holberg. Plenty of Cardinal fans. You see the hit. For a good portion of those few seconds, you think to yourself, well, that's going to get caught. There's a gold glove center fielder roaming out there. This is going to get caught. But he just mistimed it because he was too far in on the play to begin with. He couldn't make up the ground, and it falls bounces then bounces over the fence there's your hit your no hitters broken up and a phenomenal pitching performance it's still a phenomenal pitching performance it's just not a no hitter but more importantly if you're a Cardinals fan even though you may be disappointed that your pitcher didn't get his no hitter you still crush the faces of the Pirates nine to one that's all that really matters 
The Atlanta Braves continue to be the hottest team in baseball the last few weeks as they won yet again. Boy, the Washington Nationals sure are taking their medicine season and making it two seasons in a row, aren't they? Or maybe their season was just a bit of a fluke. Maybe that's what really was happening a couple years ago when they won the World Series. I still can't believe they beat the Astros for the World Series. I'm still trying to wrap my brain around how that happened. No home team won that World World Series game that year. It's a seven-game series, and the road team won all the games. (laughs) What? What? Braves beat the Nationals 10-4, improved to 36-27 and on the year as they win their 13th straight game. Bravos hit five home runs in the game. And uh, old Maxie got his seventh win to improve to 7-2 on the year, ERA 2.90 as the Bravos keep things rolling right along. I will take a 10-4 divisional win every day of the week, 365 days of the year. I'll just leave it at that. I'll just leave it at that. Bravo's turning things around. Early slump to the season. Looked bad. Let's be honest. Kevin Foote kept trying to tell me, enjoy the hammock season where you just lay in the hammock and with your trophy and don't have a care in the world. But I'm excited about my team playing well and being on a 13-game winning streak. Can't help myself. Yankees, as I mentioned earlier, they just keep rolling right along. 2-0 shutout win over the Tampa Bay Rays. That's a big victory for them because that divisional race is going to get salty in the back half. I don't have as much faith in Boston actually being a a decent team, but Tampa is always going to be a pest. Always going to be a pest. Tampa and Toronto are going to nip at the heels of the Yankees. I think the Yankees are going to win the AL East. And they had a great bounce back game by Garrett Cole yesterday. As he put one of his worst performances of his career behind him to pick up his sixth win of the season. He improves a 6-1 and one ERA, now 3.33 for the former Houston Astros starting pitcher turn Yankees starting pitcher and the Baltimore Orioles are winning games what what yeah they took down the Blue Jays yesterday six to five just never can get a feel on things just never do know we got to take a timeout that I do know we have to sorry but when we return here on RP3 and company we're gonna head back down to Metairie get some more reaction get some more thoughts from the new head coach Dennis Allen minicamp has begun for the New Orleans Saints we'll hear from the man in charge of the black and gold that'll be coming up next right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros Time to open up the vault for the games this day in sports history. June 15th, 1976. The Houston Astros are forced to cancel their game despite being played inside the Astrodome. Heavy rains make it difficult for the visiting team and umpires to get through flooded streets. That was this day in sports history. 
We now return to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to RP3 and Company. We're less than 10 minutes away from Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle joining us. He covers the Texas A&M Aggies. They're one of the favorites to win the College World Series. What a great turnaround season they've had. They're also one of four teams from the SEC West in the field there in Omaha. We're going to talk all things College World Series less than 10 minutes from right now. That's going to be exciting. I've always wanted, that's on the bucket list, by the way, to go to the College World Series. I've never been, never been, never had the opportunity. Would love to go one day and be able to experience that. Hopefully experience it without the Vandy Whistler being there. Because I don't think, I don't, I don't think his presence would make me enjoy the experience. Because he seems to be, I'm going to say it, annoying. You know what's not annoying? Every Wednesday when we do our foodie poll question of the week. Every Wednesday, our poll question of the day transforms, if you will. It turns into something else. It's like leftovers that you make into a a casserole. Becomes something else. Maybe even something better. The foodie poll question of the day. Today is, what is your go-to cool treat during a hot summer day? 42% of you right now say snow cones. 31% say freezer pops. 16% say ice cream. 11% say watermelon. I'm telling you, man, good cold watermelon. Now, some people I know during the summer will even like freeze the watermelon. Make it ice cold. Like super, super, super cold. I do like a good, nice cold watermelon. My grandparents would always get one during the summer. We'd be playing outside, and they'd bring out the watermelon. My grandfather would cut it up, and you'd eat it. I'm like, oh, yeah. It's a whole mess. It's all messy. That's the great thing about summer. Messy, just getting messy. Sweaty and messy and eating messy. Freezer pop all over your face. Dirt underneath your fingernails because you've been playing outside all day. But we want to hear from you. What is your go-to treat, if you will? Your go-to cool treat during a hot summer day. Ralph has chimed in. Ice cold beer. I respect it. The best time for me to have a cold one, because I don't drink that often. But if I work in the yard... Like if I do a lot of yard work, cut my grass, weed eat, maybe I'm out there with my steel chainsaw taking down stuff that I probably shouldn't be taking down. Working up a big sweat, just kind of just nasty, kind of hot summer day. Sitting on my porch, having a cold beer, it's the best time for me. That's when I like to have it. Nothing beats that. I like your comment, Ralph. Thank you for it. Matt Reed has commented, man goes with watermelon. Yes, see, I'm telling you, watermelon. People love getting the watermelon. 
Martin has commented on Facebook, says, any type of ice cream cake I'm down for. I love ice cream cake. But for me, if I'm all hot and sweaty, I can't, I can't, I can't have dairy, man. I just can't. I can't. I have to cool down some. Now, when I was a kid, I wasn't that way. When I was a small kid, you heard the ice cream truck coming from around the corner. And you're like, ah! You run outside, then yeah. That's different. But even then, when I was a kid, I wouldn't get... No, that's not true. I would sometimes get the Mickey Mouse ice cream. That, had, that was the chocolate with the face. You know, the ears were chocolate. I'd sometimes get that. But a lot of times, I would get the fruity-flavored ice cream with, like, the gumball in the bottom. Stuff like that. So even then, I would get something more fruity than I would dairy. But yeah, I just can't, man. Freezer pop was freezer pop was the go-to for me growing up. We always had them. All my friends had them at their house. That was a thing because you just buy a big case of flavor ice or whatever the generic brand was at the store that you shopped at, and you just get after it. And you'd always be fighting over the red or purple colored pops, which are like strawberry and grape, obviously. Then you have some. Sometimes you'd buy off brands and the yellow wasn't banana, it was lemon. And you're thinking that you're going to get a banana freezer pop and instead it's lemon and it ruins your day. <laughs> but I can tell you the one that was always left out of the box or the pack. Because sometimes you'd get the big pack of freezer pops and it'd be in that red mesh. Right? The, the the purple, the red colors would always be gone. If you had blue, that was the big go-to. Everyone wanted the blue one as well. The ones always left over were green and yellow. No one wants to be eating a lime freezer pop. Just saying. Just saying. I don't know about you. Just saying. But yeah, freezer pops were the go-to. Were the go-to. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on, Martin, to the show. Martin, I only got a couple of minutes, brother, but it's yours. What you got, my friend? Uh, yeah, I said ice cream cake on, uh, on y'all poll question, but uh, I also like a good slurping. You got to catch a brain freeze or else the slurpee's no good. But also one thing I wanted to, to bring up, too, the swans, man, man. It just seems that any ice cream from the swan, and I might be pronouncing it wrong, but it was the big yellow truck that come deliver to your grandma's house or your, or your house or whatnot and back in the day. And their ice creams just always hit different, man. But that's all I had to say, man. But it was, the, the big yellow truck with the swan on the, on the side, man, you know what I'm talking about, RP3. There you go, brother. Appreciate the phone call, bud. Enjoy your day, my man. Stay cool you out too, there. man. For me as a kid, some of y'all going to remember this, some of y'all are not. One of my favorite places to go as a kid was K&B Drugstore. Big purple store. K&B, they no longer exist. I want to say Rite Aid bought them years ago. At K&B, I felt like as a kid, my favorite thing to get at K&B, besides toys and baseball cards, was getting the K&B Neapolitan ice cream. It came in a big tub. Big, round, plastic tub. And it probably didn't taste that good in reality. But as a kid, anytime my mom would splurge and go get the Neapolitan ice cream from the K&B drugstore, that was the game changer, man. Because I get chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry. 
all in the same. This is the same. That was my favorite ice cream as a kid. But in particular, the Neapolitan ice cream from K&B Drugstore, which no longer exists, as do many things that I like. They no longer exist <laughs> because I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm just saying, just saying. But that was my jam when I was a kid, man. Back in the day, love the Neapolitan ice cream from K&B Drugstore. Got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll put the food discussion on hold. We're going to talk College World Series with the man who covers the Texas A&M Aggies for the Bryan College Station Eagle. Travis Brown will join us, breaking down how the Aggies got to Omaha and what chances do they have to win the whole thing. That'll be coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the best local sports talk in southwest Louisiana. College World Series Omaha will begin in just a few days. Four of the eight teams in the field are from the SEC. In particular, the SEC West. Two of the other teams are joining the SEC in less than two years, probably only in one year's time. And one of those teams that is from the SEC West is the Texas A&M Aggies. They've had a great turnaround season. Don't forget, A&M didn't even qualify for the SEC tournament a year ago. Yet here they are. They were the first ones to punch their ticket to Omaha, only needing five games to get there, winning their own regional and their own super. And they're going to be one of the favorites to win the whole thing, can they? To break it all down for us as a man who covers the Texas A&M Aggies for a living. From the Bryan College Station Eagle, it's our friend Travis Brown who joins us yet again here on RP3 and Company. Travis, good morning to you, bud. How are you? Good morning. I'm uh, currently on the road to get to the airport to go to Omaha. This is not my normal hours, but uh, if you're going to College World Series, you, you wake up early. <laughs> yes, you do wake up early. That's when I reached out to you, and you're like, yeah, no problem at that time. And I was like, oh, he <laughs> must be traveling. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. He must be traveling. Hours. Um, Travis, I know we've talked about this before earlier in the season when uh, Texas A&M and LSU faced off. We had you on the show. But now that the Aggies are in the College World Series, just talk about the turnaround job that's been done there in College Station from last year when they didn't even qualify for the SEC tournament to now being one of the favorites to win the College World Series. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been pretty remarkable. Uh, they, of course, they bring in uh, Jim Schlossnagel, uh, first-year head coach from, from TCU. He brings in what a lot of people are calling an all-star staff, and they bring in just a slew gob of transfers uh, to kind of revamp the team, and uh, it, it, it worked. It, it was an interesting start to the season. You know, I, I if you would have asked me uh, as – the Aggies were going into SEC play. I was, I, and you would have said they're going to the College World Series. I would have absolutely laughed in your face uh, because they just weren't clicking necessarily to that point. But once SEC play got here, 
man, it was a, it was a completely different team, and uh, it, it's been pretty incredible. Uh, it, it just seems like, and, and it makes sense for a coach that had prior to this year been to the College World Series five times, that just every decision that Jim Schlossnagel made this year uh, seemed to turn to gold, uh, and and that's been kind of part of the. Um, the, the, the magical ride that the season has been for Aggie fans is that, that there really hasn't been any decision, no matter how scr- head-scratching at the time, that uh, hasn't really panned out well for the Aggies. So just kind of one of those uh, storybook seasons for, the, for this program. It's been a storybook season. But a lot of times when we think of storybook seasons, Travis, we think of all, oh, you know, the, the little underdog, right, that overcomes great odds and – you know, makes a big shot or hits a, you know, gets a gets a timely hit, and you know they're the scrappy team. But when you watch this Texas A&M team play, uh, there's some big dogs, man. I mean, this is not this is not you know little David Goliath story here. This is a well-run team with some really great players on it. I, I apologize for you. you cut in and out on me. Uh, can you ask the last part again? I said this is, isn't your typical like David and Goliath team when we think about Cinderella stories. This is a really good team with a lot of really great players on it. Yeah. Yeah, we're losing we're we're we're, lo- we're losing Travis. We're gonna get him back on on a better connection. Here, uh, obviously, our guy is uh, traveling, getting uh, himself to the airport so he can fly out to Omaha, Nebraska to cover Texas A&M as they are going to begin play this weekend in the College World Series. The Aggies, once again, were 5-0 uh, and during regional and super regional play. They easily went through their own regional, which obviously the Louisiana Raging Cajuns were part of and then they marched their way through the super regional taking down louisville fairly easily to punch their ticket to omaha for the college world series we have travis back on the line now travis sorry about that you were cutting up uh cutting out but i asked you about you know uh, most cinderella stories are you know david versus goliath but really texas a&m has transformed itself into a goliath they have some great players on this team Right, right. Uh, and it goes back to what they've been able to do in the transfer portal. I mean, look at a guy like Jacob Palish, who is the left-handed kind of uh, uh, leader in the, in the bullpen, uh, closed out that Super Regional. He's a guy that transferred in from Stanford, and Stanford is a, a, a team in this College World Series. He, he was a guy that made an impact there and is making an impact for the Aggies. I mean, Troy Clonch has College World Series. Uh, uh, the catcher has College World Series experience. Micah Dallas came from Texas Tech, has College World Series experience. Uh, all guys that have done it at the highest level, they were able to bring in to bolster this A&M team. And then the vast improvements from guys who've been around like Trevor Warner and Brett Minich and Austin Bost, uh under. you, you got to give a lot of credit to Michael Early, uh, the assistant coach who has come in to do uh, kind of the hitting role. Uh, came in really highly touted. He's a young guy. He really connects with the players well, has real customized uh, batting or hitting routines for the guys that he, he can uh, de- uh, determine what the, 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 the flaw, what the inconsistency is in the swing and develops individualized hitting programs for those guys. They've really latched on to him. And, man, I, I would be surprised if the Aggies were, were able to hang on to him for much longer. He, he's destined for a head coaching job soon. 
Travis, they get through their competition in the regional and super regional fairly e- easily. I mean, they were the first team to punch their ticket to Omaha. They went 5-0 and in the regional and super regional play. They, they weren't pushed to extra games. Is that an advantage or a disadvantage when, now that they're in Omaha or going to Omaha? It is, it is absolutely an advantage only because the, 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 the biggest uh, hole in their whole program right now is just a lack of starting pitching. And if they were going to make it to this point, uh, they were going to need to have to get through the easy way because if they had to play any of those extra loser bracket games, that's where things could have gotten sideways for them. It's really interesting to talk to Jim Schlossnagel, who, like I said, has been to so many Omahas and brought a lot of really good TCU teams to Omaha. Talk about the, the, the aspects that they still need to program build. They still need to bolster their pitching staff. They need to bolster their starting rotation to continue to build the program. But in the process of not being where they would like to be at in the program, they're one of the top two highest seeds to make it to Omaha this year, which is a, a, a pretty impressive feat. So, yeah, it, it's definitely a plus for them, and it's going to be a plus for them to, if they want to advance and go far in the College World Series. They need to, to keep the games to a minimum uh, if they can. There's a little help there because you've got that uh, day off of rest every other day in Omaha that you don't get through a regional or a super regional. Uh, but still, they, uh, they, they're, they're lacking in depth when it comes to both starting and, and bullpen pitching. So games to a minimum is, is great for them. We're talking with Travis Brown. He covers Texas A&M for the Bryan College Station Eagle. He's on his way to the airport to fly out to Omaha, Nebraska to cover the College World Series. Once again, Texas A&M is going to kick off the College World Series with the very first game as they take on Oklahoma at 1 o'clock on Friday. Let me ask you this. You, you mentioned you know reducing the number of games that they have to play to keep their starting pitching fresh because they don't have enough of it, so to speak. Give me an under-the-radar X factor for this team to be able to make a run in Omaha and win the national championship. Let me let me actually reverse course on that and go with some starting pitching. They've got to get great outings from Nathan Detmer and Micah Dallas, their two starting pitchers, um, who wouldn't you necessarily would think to be under-the-radar uh, X factors, but they, it's been since the NFL draft weekend when they were out at Vanderbilt. That's the last time they've gotten a starting pitcher to throw past five innings. So they've got to get some more quality starts out of those guys. And if they could turn around and get some quality starts, uh, that would be a kind of an under the radar X factor because they just haven't had that in a really long time. I'll be interested to see. And I asked Schlossnagel about this yesterday. Uh, all across college baseball, you look at any uh, conference, any uh, team, offensive numbers have skyrocketed this year. I, I know going into the Super Regionals, there was 4,000 more home runs than there were at, at the end of last season. Uh, runs, bat, RBIs are up, hits are up, batting averages up. Everything is up this year. Uh, Charles Schwab Field, the formerly TD Ameritrade field up there in Omaha, is an absolute graveyard. It has the southern wind blowing in. It's a big, expansive outfield. Um, I'm going to be really interested to see if the pitchers get a little bit of, of payback for the season that is either, you know, some uh, COVID, uh, less developed pitching because of, of, of COVID, or, you know, K- Kendall Rogers from D1 Baseball has talked about 
uh, juiced up balls a little bit maybe this season. If the pitchers are going to be able to get a little bit of retribution for the beating that they've taken across the country this year, uh, and if in the Aggies' case, if those two starting pitchers can get some quality starts and keep some hits and some runs off the board, um, that would be a huge under-the-radar X factor, at least as the last stretch of the season has gone for the Aggies. They're going to face one of the hottest teams in college baseball. Oklahoma was a team that no one wanted to face. They made that run in the Big 12 tournament, and they go down to the regional, and they win it, and then they win the Super as well. Uh, They're one of the hottest teams. What do you think of this matchup right off the bat for Texas A&M taking on Oklahoma? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think it would not be easy to say that they are the hottest team uh, coming into the, the College World Series. Uh, with maybe you could say A&M being uh, number two with how easily they went through and, and how many games. I think if you look back, both of them, the last time they lost a series, both Oklahoma and A&M was around the, the April 10th range uh, or a week, a series or a weekend tournament um, was about the April 10th range. So a, a lot to like from both teams there. Um, I, I just think no matter who you are in this tournament, uh, not to, to – to, continue to ring this bell, but whoever gets that little bit better pitching is going to be the team that, that, that goes, because I just don't think, and you know, granted, I've said this about just the A&M team going every round and they've proven me wrong every round, but I just don't think that you're going to get a team that swings their way to a national championship. I think the team that shows up and, and can pitch a little bit better um, is going to be the team that advances. I, I think A&M might actually have a little bit better pitching uh, than Oklahoma, who's been another really uh, offensive team this year. And so, yeah, but, uh, you know, off the field, even if you look at that whole side of the bracket, the storylines abound. I mean, you got both the, the teams coming into the SEC in Texas and Oklahoma. you got Notre Dame, who, if you'll remember, to, uh, it kind of has the ire of, of Aggie fans because two years ago in the college football playoff, they got that last playoff spot, and the Aggies were left number five just on the outside. And then you look at this year's NCAA basketball tournament. Uh, Notre Dame was one of the last four in, and the Aggies got left out, made a run to the NIT final. So uh, there's no love lost with Notre Dame and the Aggies right now either. And uh, that's just going to make for an absolutely just exciting, exhilarating uh, A bracket from the College World Series. Travis, we'll wrap it up with this. There were times throughout the season, good stretches of the season, where it felt like the SEC wasn't as deep or as good as we had seen it been in years past. I mean, we were coming off a year where we had an all-championship final between Vandy and Mississippi State. And here we are, though, and we have four teams from the conference. Half the field is from the SEC, and not a single one of them is the most polarizing team in college baseball, the Tennessee Volunteers, who were upset by Notre Dame and the Supers. What do you make of how well the SEC was this year? How good they were, rather? Yeah, you know, I think I'm going to lean on Jim Schlossnagel and one of his answers here because I think there's a lot of different ways you can look at it, but this one kind of makes sense to me. And I asked him going into the Super Regional, about those offensive numbers across the country and why this year, what about this year made everything just so absolutely offensive and so powerful. And he said uh, in the last little bit, he's noticed in the high school ranks as as pitchers develop, there's been this shift where everyone just seems to care about velocity. And he he is frequently quoted in saying the most unimpressive thing about a college pitcher is how hard he throws. Because if he's throwing it straight and down the middle or leaving it high, 
a 92, the difference between 92 and 96 isn't going to make a difference to a good uh, college hitter. It's when you can change speeds and when you can throw a breaking ball for a strike uh, and be consistent on those off-speed pitches and those breaking pitches. And he seems to have indicated as he evaluates pitching, those secondary pitches just really aren't there in, in, in pitching staffs right now. And so um, I, I think that as you saw the SEC season develop, and especially as you go into postseason, and this is exactly, this is exactly what happened with Yagi. You saw some pitchers make some tweaks, get some work in the bullpen, talk to some coaches, get that extra year of development. I mean, you have to factor in the fact that a lot of these pitchers are pitchers who lost the season because of COVID still. We're still in that four-year cycle. Uh, and so just another season under their belt, they're able to kind of develop those off-speed pitches, those breaking pitches. And as they moved and progressed through the season um, and got into postseason play, they were, they were very different teams than when the SEC started the season this year. Uh, and I think that they, that just put them a little bit ahead. So uh, that's the, the part of it that makes sense to me a little bit of why there's been this resurgence is you've seen just a little bit better pitching coming from them as the postseason has, has moved along. Travis, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy being at the College World Series and uh, enjoy yourself, brother. And look, uh, just know this. While you're up there in Omaha, you don't have to deal with the Vandy Whistler because they didn't make it this year. So that's Listen, always a plus, yes. bud. And, and the Omaha College World Series, the happiest place on earth, earth. I've covered all kinds of sporting events from the Super Bowl to Texas high school football, and College World Series is the best. If you haven't gone up there, you got to see it. Well, bud, enjoy yourself, and we'll talk to you soon, brother. Thanks. That's Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle. He covers the Texas A&M Aggies. Once again, they're one of the favorites to win the College World Series. Four teams from the SEC are in the field. There's only eight teams. <laughs> so uh, it tells you the quality of depth of the Southeastern Conference. we got to take a timeout. We'll update the poll question of the day, wrap up hour number two. That's all coming up next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the LSU Tigers in Southwest Louisiana. Rescue Fest is Saturday, June 25th at Park International. It's a day of live music featuring the Sarah Russo Band, Jet 7, Layla Laverne, Hunter Corville, and Cam Nelson. There's going to be plenty of food, games, and even a raffle. Rescue Fest is a fundraiser for the Rescue Group of Acadiana. It's a group that provides financial and emotional assistance to grieving families of child loss. It's a great organization trying to do tremendous things for people in need. To buy tickets for Rescue Fest to help do your part, go to Eventbrite or simply visit rescuegroup.org. That's R-E-S-C-Y-O-U group.org. Poll question of the day is our foodie poll question of the week. What is your go-to cool treat during a hot summer day? Right now, 45% of the vote is going to snow cones. 27% of the vote going to freezer pops, 14% apiece for watermelon or ice cream. Like those votes. Keep them coming. 
on our poll question of the day. Snow cones, yeah, man, down south, Louisiana, we're big snow cone people. That's not everywhere, by the way. The love for the snow cones is more so in the south than other places in the country. We love our snow cones. Right now, 45% of the vote going to snow cones. Once again, 27% of the vote going to freezer pops and 14% apiece for watermelon and ice cream. Keep those votes coming on the poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you're keeping it clean for the kids. Don't need the social media police, the Facebook police, to come out and take your comment down. No one wants that. We don't want that. You don't want that. So let's make sure that doesn't happen. Hour number two, though, is in the books. Can't avoid it. It's happened. Hour number three, though, got great stuff lined up for you. 8.30, John J. Hendricks from Sports Illustrated will join us to talk all things New Orleans Saints. Mini camp has opened up. And coming up next, Nick Suss, Ole Miss beat reporter from the Clarion Ledger, will join us to preview the Rebels in the College World Series. That's next, right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Number three has arrived here on RP3 and Company on this hump day edition of our show. Don't forget to vote on the foodie poll question of the week. That's what we do every Wednesday. We try to keep it light and fun on Wednesday with a food poll question of the day. And ours today is, what is your go-to cool treat during a hot summer day? What's the go-to cool treat during a hot summer day? Right now, 46% of you say snow cone, 28% say freezer pops, and 13% apiece say watermelon or ice cream. Keep those votes coming. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. Just make sure you keep it clean for the kids. Coming up a half hour from right now, John J. Hendricks from Sports Illustrated will join us. Saints reported for minicamp yesterday. We'll get a report on what John saw there at the facility in Metairie, who stood out, who didn't, and so much more about the black and gold. But right now it's time for us to talk College World Series. The Ole Miss Rebels looked dead in the water about halfway through the season. There was rumblings of people saying, oh, I guess the head coach's time there in Oxford has come to an end. A great 20-year run. But that's not what happened. In fact, Ole Miss ended the season strong, got that sweep at LSU, if you remember, and then has gone on an absolute tear this postseason, winning their regional on the road, winning their super regional on the road, even though it's not that far of a drive from Oxford to Hattiesburg. And here they are, headed to Omaha with a chance to win the College World Series. To break it all down for us and what changed for this Rebels team this year is a man who covers them for a living, 
Our old friend Nick Suss joins us now. Nick, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Ah, I'm doing okay. How are y'all? Bud, you get to make a trip to Omaha, Nebraska. It's got to be good times for you these days. Yeah, no, I'm, I cover sports in Mississippi, so I make the trip more than you'd think. But first time I'm going to watch Ole Miss, so that is, uh, that's definitely something exciting. That, that's right. You went last year to cover Mississippi State, correct? I did, yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So let's start off with the fact that it, it – at good stretches this year, the SEC looked a little down. Well, you know, oh, you know, Tennessee was dominating everyone, but the rest of the league seemed to be just kind of middle of the pack for good stretches of the season. Yet here we are, Nick, and half the field for the College World Series is from the Southeastern Conference. Um, did, did all these teams just turn a corner uh, this season, or did we underestimate just how deep this conference was this year? Um. I think there's a difference between something looking down and something looking like nobody is edging ahead. And I was always kind of hesitant to say the SEC is having a down year, but I don't know. Texas A&M hasn't lost a series since the middle of April. This is a team that absolutely belongs in Omaha, and there's no surprise that Texas A&M is here. Arkansas and Ole Miss are two teams that had very similar paths this year where it's just we are so used to them being powerhouses that them showing any human frailty is unprecedented and now kind of watching them uh, get back to where they for Arkansas for sure belong and Ole Miss where they're often projected uh, kind of feels like a redemption arc and Auburn they've I didn't fact-check this yesterday, but Mike Bianco told me yesterday that they had the most SEC wins of any team that played Tennessee this year. Uh, I think they went 16-14. and 14. They're a good team. They probably don't have the top-end pitching that you'd expect from a College World Series team, but that offense can hit. They, they really got hot towards the end of the year, or towards the postseason, rather. They kind of limped their way through the end of the regular season and the inverse of what Ole Miss did, but they, they really got hot at the right time. They hosted, and, I mean, it's not easy to go out to Corvallis and win a Super Regional, and they did that. So, yeah, I, I think these are four teams that absolutely make sense for being in the College World Series, but I wouldn't have predicted it on May 1st, but it it does all add up. Let's talk about Tennessee for a moment because – Look, this built up last year where they had the breakout season, but they started ruffling feathers and started rubbing people the wrong way last year. And that carried over to this year, and they they very much embraced being the villain of college baseball. It's been a long time since I've seen fan bases in from inside the conference to even outside of the conference all kind of come together and enjoy Tennessee's downfall, not making it to Omaha uh, when's the last time you saw something like this, Nick, in, in covering college sports? Oh, I'm sure it happens in football a lot more than we give it credit for, and it happens just about every year in basketball because there's either a Duke team or a Kentucky team that people really, really dislike. I think the thing that made Tennessee unique, there's probably three of them. One is they really did relish that attitude. They really liked being perceived as the bad guy they they leaned into it which obviously 
adds to the uh, fuel to the fire. I think there was an aspect of Tennessee being, quote-unquote, new money that probably rubbed people the wrong way of Duke basketball or Alabama football gets away with being the bad guy because they're champions every year, it feels like. But Tennessee baseball is kind of a new power, and people probably didn't like the new power acting like they completely changed the sport. And I think that the third thing, and this is the most crucial thing to the whole conversation, they were really, really good like, let's not let the personality overshadow that this was one of the most talented college baseball teams of all time. And the fact that they're not in Omaha is not only a surprise, it's it's a bummer. Like, this was a really, really good baseball team. And I I can't remember the last time I saw a college baseball team that had that much pitching talent, that much offensive talent, and was generating headlines. They were a really, really good team. And for all the negativity that we've kind of centered the conversation around with this team, let's not let that distract from the fact that Tony Vitello built a monster. That's a really, really good baseball program right now, and it would be kind of stunning if they weren't really good again next year. Uh, they they're looking like they're going to be a regular contender, and they're going to be that. They're going to go from being that new money team that people don't necessarily love the attitude they're taking to this is just a factor that you have to deal with in the SEC is Vanderbilt's always going to have the pitchers and LSU's always going to have the fan base and the big long balls and Arkansas's always going to have what what it does well with its uh, well-rounded team and a uh, fan base that's really into the games and Tennessee's just going to be really good and really brash and I think that's good for the league whether you want to subscribe to the oh sports need a villain theory or whether you just want to subscribe to it's good when good teams are good but man they were such a good team they were such a good team and you know it but if you're going to embrace the thing that the thing that i just you know flipping off people when you're rounding the base paths cursing out umpires talking trash look if that's what you're going to do that's great you know if you want to be miami hurricanes football from 1986 get after it but when you fail when you fall short everyone's going to pile on you and i'm interested to see if tennessee can handle that and actually handle being the bad guy because some people are built for that others are not and uh i'm interested to see if tennessee moving forward can actually handle that being that because you know it, it not everyone can 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 deal with that when the the arrows are, are pointed at their direction yeah but i'm i'm not really interested in kind of dog whistling the bad parts of them like people who think that the thing that is bad is oh they're not playing baseball the quote-unquote right way that's more annoying to me than people quote-unquote not playing baseball the right way there's no right way to play baseball the just because one team plays in a more structured way with more decorum and they're not flipping bats and they're not cheering, that doesn't make you better or worse or more or less deserving of being called the hero or the bad guy. Like, I I don't want to villainize Tennessee because of the way they play. I think that if you're going to villainize Tennessee, there are some places to start, but 
man, we do also have to acknowledge that it's 2022 and baseball <laughs> players don't act like Ed Williams anymore. Uh, like, no, no, no they don't. No, they don't. And look, the coach inspires it. And look, it, they look like the best team by a country mile this year. I mean, let, let's yeah. be let's be real for a minute. I was surprised. I thought they would be tested by Notre Dame um, in the Super Regional, Nick. I did not, I, I, but I expected Tennessee to move on. Let, let's let's start there because that's going to be one of the teams. I said it earlier in this week. You know, Notre Dame was a team a lot of folks thought deserved to host a regional. They didn't. They were the highest ranked number two seed. They win the regional on the road, and then they go take down Tennessee. For me, the most dangerous non-SEC team. I know a lot of focus is Oklahoma, but. I think it's Notre Dame because I think they play with a chip on their shoulder and they've proven that, look, uh, it doesn't matter who you are, they're more than prepared to come and take you down. Um, I'm a numbers guy, you know this, Ray, and yeah. uh, the most dangerous non-SEC team is Texas, and it has been Texas all year, and they were preseason number one for a reason, and they got hot exactly when they needed to get hot, and of all teams in the College World Series field, they lead in batting average and slugging percentage and doubles and home runs. And, like, let's not just completely ignore the horns because, man, that's a good team, especially that offense, and they've got two good starting pitchers. But to your point about Notre Dame, they are a team that you look up and down the stats page, you look up and down the roster, and nobody immediately stands out. And you think, why is this team so good? Yep. And then you look at the team stats, and they just don't really have a hole. What they remind me of is they don't have the top-end talent that last year's Arkansas team did, but this is what I was saying so much about last year's Arkansas team of really, really good team that proves if you have B-plus production at every single position, you're an A-plus team. And I think that's kind of what Notre Dame has exemplified. And, I mean, they're a really well-coached bunch that clearly lesser teams would not have been able to not just beat Tennessee, but come back to beat Tennessee, beat Tennessee on the road, have the belief that after you drop that game two, you're still in it, not get overwhelmed by the moment. And I think that's going to be a huge credit for Notre Dame. But in the same way that Oklahoma is incredibly hot and Texas is incredibly talented, and I think Stanford has lost two games since the middle of April. I mean, these are a lot of really, really good teams in the field. Let's not just jump to, oh, the one team that beat an SEC team is clearly the favorite if it's not an SEC team. I think that all eight teams in this field probably have some claim to why they should be able to win. And, I mean, if you look at me and say, hey, Stanford has the two best starting pitchers in the field. If they can get to the finals, they're easy, easy winner. And I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. You look at me and say, man, Oklahoma, the way they've come back and the way they've powered through down the stretch, nobody's playing better baseball than them right now. Sure, yeah, no, I believe you. We've talked about Notre Dame. We've talked about Texas. I've talked about the way Auburn's been hitting in the postseason. We haven't really talked much about Arkansas, but that's a team that didn't quite look as dead to the water as Ole Miss did, but I think their RPI fell into the 40s at one point toward the end of the regular season. This is a team that a lot of people were questioning, hey, where's this resume coming from? Why are they being discussed as a 1-2 seed? This team seems to be just as much on the bubble as an Ole Miss or an Alabama, and they 
really proved the doubters wrong there, too. I mean, this is a compelling, compelling field. And, gosh, I really like the way A&M plays. I really like the way Texas plays. Stanford's got a really, really good team. There's a lot of good reasons to, to like this field. It does feel absolutely wide open, and to your point, Nick. We're talking with Nick Suss. He covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Clarion Ledger. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Let's talk about those Rebels because, man, this Rebels team looked dead in the water, right? About halfway through the season, there was rumblings about the longtime coach and the team that was going to be parting ways, yet here they are in Omaha. What was the turning point of the season, Nick? Gosh, if there was just one, it would be a much simpler story to write. But I'll try and condense it to three things that really changed. Thing number one, in early April, this team did not know how to pitch. They could not figure out who belonged where. And Mike Bianco kind of said, screw it, and went three straight weeks where he just threw whoever he liked the matchup best and tried to figure out who was going to be able to give the team the most. And those three weeks were rough, but he eventually discovered the Dylan DeLucia-Hunter Elliott combination at the top of the starting rotation. And since, really, I'd say the Mississippi State Series, which was the penultimate weekend of April, they've had pretty darn good starting pitching. Uh, The second thing was this team lost between the start of the Tennessee series and the end of the Arkansas series, which was May 1st, I want to say they lost eight games where they were losing in the middle innings by two or more runs, came back to tie it or take the lead, and still lost in the ninth inning or later. And in every single one of those games, they had the go-ahead or tying run at the plate in the ninth inning or later. And it was just a team that was on the precipice of winning a lot of games, but kept coming up short. And then in May, this team kind of learned how to win. Uh, A lot of it has been bullpen-driven. The bullpen hasn't given up an earned run since before the SEC tournament started. That's been an incredible run. A lot of it has been... uh, Starting pitching driven, as I mentioned, with Lucia and Elliott, back-to-back shutouts in a super regional is really, really incredible. But a lot of it has just been the offense getting the timely hits that eluded it during the regular season. Uh, this team, I ran the numbers yesterday. I think they're hitting 425 the third time through the lineup this postseason. They're just, whenever pitchers are about to face the offense for a third time, and the opponent's coach has to decide, hey, do I want to bring in a reliever or do I want to let my starter face Tim Elko a third time? The opponent is toast. And that's really what this offense should have been doing all year with your Tim Elkos and Jacob Gonzalez's and Kevin Grahams and Justin Bench, Kemp Alderman. It's a loaded lineup, and they're finally hitting like it. And that's kind of reinvigorated the team. Then the third thing to speak very, very quickly is – they just haven't been bothered by anything this postseason. They faced four starting pitchers in five games who I think are legitimate pro prospects, and they've gotten to every one of them. Even if Carson Palmquist at Miami, they only got two runs across. They only needed two runs. It was a two-to-one game. They broke Tanner Hall 
They, I think they got four runs off of him in five innings. They, they got to Hurston Waldrop at Southern Miss. They got to Garrett Irvin at Arizona. They're, they're finding ways to break through against these top, top opponents. And that's something they've kind of done all year. I think they were seven and three on SEC Fridays this year. So now that every game has that Friday feel, they're, they're kind of, doing what they expected of themselves. And the team never lost belief that it belonged at the top of the standings. And now they are kind of at the position that no Ole Miss team has been since 2014. And that's kind of remarkable when you think about the talent they've had in the eight years in between. Nick, appreciate your time as always, brother. Enjoy going back to Omaha and enjoy the trip. And we'll talk to you soon, bud, probably at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. All right. Talk to you then, buddy. That's Nick Suss. Covers the Ole Miss Rebels for the Clarion Ledger. Breaking it down all for us. The only thing I would disagree with Nick is this. Look, he he doesn't want paint Tennessee as the villains. But, I, you know, I, I get it. I understand. But, you know, you I've said it before. You're going to go out there. You're going to talk the trash. You're going to behave a certain way. Hey, you're allowed to do that. You're allowed to do that. But when you get beat, when you get taken out and you fall below your expectations, then everyone is allowed to pile on you and to be critical of you. That comes with the territory. If you're going to go out there and talk trash to the other teams, you're going to curse at umpires, you're going to flip off people around in the bases, that's fine. If that's what you're allowed and your coach allows, get after it. Get after it. But just know that that type of behavior inspires other teams and other coaches to rise to the occasion to take you down a peg. That's how that works. And when you fall short of your ultimate goal, people are going to pile on you from coast to coast, from north to south. That's how it works. That's just how it works. Those are the rules. we got to take a timeout. More RP3 and company coming up. Poll question of the day. The foodie poll question of the week. We're going to get some insight from our panel that we always do on Wednesdays. The intern extraordinaire, Daryl. The producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names. And the legend, Steve Wiley, will join us all live next. Right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. You're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Oh, it is the game's birthday, and this is your invitation to party with us as we celebrate 10 years of being Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Join us at Buffalo Wild Wings on Ambassador Caffrey on Wednesday, June the 22nd. That's next Wednesday. Not only is it our birthday, it's Steve Wiley's birthday. Hello. There it is. There's going to be delicious wings and amazing door prizes, including station swag, Astros tickets, a 50-inch TV donated by AVI, car washes from the wash donated by Service Chevrolet, a gift card from Partners Limited, and so much more, in addition to all your favorite personalities being out there. Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh will be broadcasting live from the party, so come join us at B-Dubs on Wednesday, June the 22nd. That's a week from today from 4 to 9 o'clock for the game's 10th birthday bash. I'm joined now inside the game studios by quite the trio. Producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, 
She's standing up because she has something to say with authority. There's the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, lounging in the chair like he does better than anyone else. He looks good there. He does look good. He looks comfy. He looks like he's just yeah, he's just ha- hanging out, happy to be here. And, of course, the legend sits beside me, Steve Wiley. All right, everyone. Poll question of the day, of course, is our foodie poll question of the week. It is sweltering outside. It is June in southwest Louisiana, which means it's the fifth circle of hell. So, everyone tries to cool off different ways, and that's our foodie poll question of the day. What's your go-to cool treat during a hot day? Right now, 46% of our listeners say snow cones. That's their go-to, and that's definitely a Louisiana and Southern favorite. 27% say old-school freezer pops. You know, you get all the different flavors, grape, strawberry, and then there's always banana or lime that's left in the freezer to rot. (laughs) <laughs> because no one wants those. <laughs> and 15% of the folks say a nice, cool watermelon is what they love. That's what they prefer. And 12% say ice cream. Now, I said earlier. So that's at the bottom of the list. That's at the bottom of the list. Now, for me personally, I don't like eating ice cream when I work up a sweat. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't. I don't like it, eating dairy like that. So I prefer something like a freezer pop or a snow cone, something like that instead. I have to cool down a little bit before enjoying the ice cream. So I'm gonna yeah, it's circle got a lot around. of weight to it. Yeah, it, it, it makes me feel heavy. Yeah, right, right. And I'm already heavy enough. Me so, too. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna start it off with Steve. What's your go-to cool treat on a hot summer day, my friend? Well, you know, in light of what we were just discussing, and and you raise a great point. I mean, I love ice cream. Okay, I mean, I get chewed out at home for eating ice cream. All right. <laughs> But, yeah, out there on a hot day, say you're working in the yard or whatever you're doing in that heat, let's go for the watermelon. Oh, man, watermelon. I do like a good watermelon. My, yeah, I got an inspiration about this because my wife brought it up, and she loves, during the summertime, she loves to go buy the watermelon, cut it up the whole nine yards, put it in the fridge, and we can eat on it for a couple of days and everything like that. She loves the watermelon. But her go-to, anytime it gets hot outside, and my daughter's the same way, they love to get the snow cone. That's also one of their... Their go-tos. For me, if if it's one of these options, I go with freezer pops. Just because as a kid, that was always the go-to. It's quick. It's easy. It doesn't, you know, weigh you down, so to speak, like ice cream does. Watermelon, you know, you don't always have it. It always, for me as a kid, was like a special occasion uh-huh. when my grandmother got one or something like that. Everywhere we went in the neighborhood, someone had freezer pops. Yeah. <laughs> right? And sometimes you'd make them homemade, right? You just oh, make them yeah. with Kool-Aid or Flavor-Aid, and you put them in an ice tray, and you, you know, mom would get mad because you used her ice tray to make your own freezer pops. That's a discussion for another day. Or you could make them out of screwdrivers, too. <laughs> yeah, make them out of screwdrivers. So you say, so you go with watermelon. That's your yeah, go-to. Yeah, absolutely. That's what, that, Ever since childhood, you know. So the refreshing, cool treat for Steve Wiley. He goes watermelon. I say freezer pop. Let's go to the intern extraordinaire daryl what's your go-to cool treat it doesn't have to be one of these four it can be something else what's your go-to cool treat during a hot summer day brother i like ice cream uh you know vanilla ice cream but my favorite is uh vanilla uh, ice cream sandwich with a little bit of chocolate we can't we can't hear daryl not a problem daryl we're gonna get you bud not a problem we're just going to switch them over here. There it is. 
All right, okay. Daryl. There we go. There we go. Sorry. <laughs> Live radio. <laughs> that's uh, that's how it goes. Okay, so what's the go-to for you cool treat on a hot summer day? Vanilla ice cream. Uh, I like ice cream sandwiches. Oh, ice, ice cream, cream sandwiches sandwich. you can get uh, with a little bit of chocolate. It has a chocolate. That's a go-to for a hot, hot day. Now, see, for, for me growing up, I mentioned this earlier on the show, my go-to, like when I was a kid, my favorite ice cream, if you don't count the ice cream truck, which was always a, a game changer, right? But for me, was growing up in the South, Neapolitan ice cream from K&B Drugstore. Now, Steve's oh. going to be old enough to remember oh, K&B yeah. Drugstore. Yeah. So that that, that was, and, and, you know, it, it may not even tasted that good, but I remember it tasting good because it was a big deal. When mom brought home the tub of Neapolitan ice cream, obviously we had a little extra money in the household. <laughs> and you got the chocolate, vanilla, and strawberry all at the same time. So, okay. So, Steve says watermelon. I say uh, ice pops is the go-to. You say, Daryl, ice cream. Last but not least, the most important person of this whole production of RP3 and Company, the producer extraordinaire, Miss Hannah Five Names. What are you bringing to the table? What's your go-to cool treat on a hot summer day? Okay, I guess it'd be in the category of snow cones, but I like a snowball. We call it snowballs. I don't like... Snow cones just sounds funny. I don't like that. Isn't it the same snow- thing? It's almost the same thing, but usually snow cones actually come in a cone. Snowballs come in a cup. But I love me a, a, a snowball, a really big, huge, large one, a wedding cake with condensed milk. <sighs> so you do like getting – that's what that might, was going to be my next question because I actually prefer my snowball snow cones, however you want to refer to it as, with cream on them, the condensed milk. That's the yeah. thing they do in New Orleans. That's where I got that from when I lived in, in, in the West Bank when I was a kid. So I was exposed to that. So that's your go-to. You have to have the the, the sugary, the condensed milk with it. Yeah. I, I teeter between doing the wedding cake, because that one's actually really, really sweet, or the tiger's blood, because it's a little bit sweet, but like has a tiny bit of tang to it. There you go. So the mixture together is like, mm, perfect. There we go. So snow cone slash snowball for producer extraordinaire Hannah Five Names. Ice cream for our intern extraordinaire Daryl who will promptly throw that headset in the trash can that didn't work. <laughs> for the legend Steve Wiley, that's your assignment, by the way, as part of your internship. For the legend Steve Wiley, he goes with watermelon. I say freezer pops. We all picked a different one. That hasn't happened yet. There you go. Keep oh. voting on the poll question of the day, which is our foodie poll question of the week. What's your go-to cool treat on a hot summer day? We got to take a timeout. Thanks to Steve, Daryl, and Hannah for joining me here inside the studio as they do every Wednesday. When we come back, we're going to be talking all things black and gold. John J. Hendricks from Sports Illustrated will be joining us. Minicamp has begun. He'll give us his thoughts on what he saw on the practice field yesterday in Metairie. That's coming up next right here on The Game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. is ready for Saints talk. The give to Camara. Breaks through. Spins at the two. Into the end zone. Touchdown! Time to talk Saints with the Big Easy Blitz here on RP3 and Company. Mini camp has begun. The black and gold got to work yesterday down in Metairie at the team's headquarters and practice facility. And to recap what he saw, what stood out to him, is the man who covers the New Orleans Saints for Sports Illustrated. The Como High legend himself, John J. Hendricks, joins us now. John, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? 
Good morning. I'm doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing great, bud. Doing great. So let's get right to it. Um, Will Lutz back in the building. He got cleared. He spoke to the media yesterday. Um, just what stood out to you from what you heard from Will and how big of a, a deal is it having Lutz back in the fold, healthy, being able to handle the kicking duties? Yeah, look, he's ready. And, I mean, again, what we looked at from uh, last week at OTA, he was doing a little bit of kicking, right? He was just doing kind of some onside work, nothing crazy. And, and you know, they rolled in the extra kicker for tryouts. But as far as let's go, him being ready to go cleared medically is such a huge step. And, look, I, I think when you look at all these guys with some of their health uh, concerns potentially – I don't think there's any rush for them to get back on the field. But, look, if this team had luck last year, they would have won easily a couple of extra games. They would have been in the playoffs. I mean, that's just how significant it is. You saw some of Sean Payton's decisions last year because you didn't have a stability of kicker or didn't have a range of kicker. That was affected and went into some of those decisions that, you know, fans kind of hated it, if you will. But, you know, look, Will Epps is ready to go. He feels good. Throwing the mullet this season. Uh, and so, look, he's an important part of what this team does in special teams, and he's going to put a ton of points up on the board for this New Orleans Saints offense. Lutz is back. You know who else was back yesterday, obviously, that caused a bit of a buzz on social media was Alvin Kamara out there practicing, working out, doing his thing. What's the latest when it comes to AK-41? Well, what do we know? I mean, obviously he's there with the team. What's the team's approach with everything going on legally with him off the field? Yeah, look, I mean, you know, some people been down and asked about David Johnson coming in to visit. And, look, I thought he looked pretty crisp yesterday, veteran guy. But, um, you know, it wasn't related to anything with Kamara. Like the next court hearing or hearing they have is August 1st. Same thing kind of with Marcus May. So it's kind of a wait-and-see atmosphere right now and, Kamara is there. He's practicing. He's doing his thing. He's carrying on business as usual, if you will. And, you know, again, we'll just have to kind of see how these things play out. Um, you know, obviously, I think it's a microcosm compared to what's going on in Cleveland with Deshaun Watson. And the Saints really bad to bullet there. But, you know, Kamara uh, is there. He's, he's practicing. He looked good yesterday. I mean, he looks just like AK. And, and I'm sure he's locked in and focused right now. But, you know, again, these things, even if – Things do happen in the court setting. And as far as NFL discipline, that's something that we expect probably later in the season, not something that's going to be a swift type thing. You mentioned Johnson. They brought him in for a workout yesterday, right? Uh, do you expect them to actually, for the Saints to sign him, though? Yeah, I don't know about him necessarily. When they brought him, Senio Kelamete, a guy that the Saints are familiar with, played some good years as a reserve guy and, and filled in for a bit. And they brought in Jay Schobert, the linebacker. I think Schobert's got probably a, a, the best chance of them all. Tell him I say just because of the guard depth and if they want somebody like that over an undrafted guy, I think they can make that happen as well. But uh, doing kind of this due diligence, right, and just kind of filling out some vets that may be available closer to training camp because you got to think once we get done with these next couple of days, going to be pretty much four or five weeks before we have training camp so it's going to be kind of that big lull and you know they'll probably bring some guys into camp i mean this is what happened with Devontae freeman last year they're going to try out a lot of players they're going to get some looks at them and so look david johnson familiar with uh with mark ingram being in houston he's a guy that's kind of uh trying to revitalize his career after a down season a couple down seasons but um look i would expect them to probably look later i don't know if anything's imminent right now though 
Jameis Winston, I know he's still recovering from everything, but I know he's getting work in. But Andy Dalton got some work in as well yesterday. What did you make of what you saw from the quarterbacks at uh, minicamp? Yeah, look, I think it's interesting you bring him up because I talked to Ronald Curry, quarterback's coach, passing game coordinator this year. And so, look, he, he had a lot of good things to say about all three of them and just kind of how Winston's taking a lot more ownership this year. I'll Dalton, the guy that could start for a lot of teams this season. I think Dalton's looks impressive, right? I, I just think from an insurance perspective, um, you know, with something like Winston, I really like what I've seen from Andy Dalton. I, I think the guy that to talk about is kind of Ian Book. Uh, you know, he struggled a little bit yesterday, but, you know, he's going through a lot of different growth from year to year, and that's important because, uh, you know, Curry had a lot of good things to say, but, uh, you know, I think he's somebody that you got to watch as this thing plays on because they only have three quarterbacks in camp. But, but Winston's looked sharp. He's looked good in a lot of ways. Um, you know, people want to drive a narrative about a limp, but I think he's moving a lot better. That race is going to be staying on for the season. Um, it's nothing I don't think that hinders him. You know, it's just it's a timetable. Trust trying to make sure that that meniscus is right. So the ACL is good. The MCL is good. So, uh, you know, again, I don't think there should be any concerns about Jameis Winston. But that quarterback room, it has a lot of promise, and I think it's uh, definitely a lot better shape than what it was last year. We're talking with John J. Hendricks, covers the New Orleans Saints for SI Now. He joins us here on RP3 and Company for the Big Easy Blitz. Jarvis Landry, man, I just keep hearing great things. The teammates love him. The coaches love him. The quarterbacks definitely love him. Uh, is he going to end up, in your opinion, being an absolute steal for the Saints? I think he has that potential. Look, I mean, again, you're not fully caught in. You're not full full go, if you will. But, man, I tell you what, he's looked impressive in camp so far. And I think when you talk about some of the standouts, he had another standout day yesterday. Made two of the best plays in, in um, practice. And just one getting behind the defense and, and just making an awesome catch and going for a touchdown and then making a one-handed grab on the sideline. And, I mean, he made one last week, right? And so this is just kind of the thing I expected from a veteran like him. And, man, it's just crazy when you think about his, his contract. And, you know, a guy like Emmanuel Sanders the other year, I mean, look, he, he was a breath of fresh air for the Saints receiving four, but – I mean, you get somebody like Jarvis in here who's just doing what he's doing, and, and then you got guys like Alave and Hardy still and Traquan and then obviously Marquez Calloway. And then obviously the big one, Michael Thomas, didn't practice yesterday, but he did come out towards the later parts of practice. He looks like he's going to be ready to go too by training camp. So, man, this receiving core is, is a lot of mouths to feed is what a lot of people have said, but Jarvis Landry is going to do really good things, and this is a guy that really needs – to have a really strong season just because this might be one of the last times he's going to be able to get a long-term deal. And, and I think him and Tyron Matthew are both really energized coming back to play in, in their home state of Louisiana. John, i got to ask you about the other side of the football while we have a few more minutes with you here. Pete Werner, the coaching staff was high on him when they drafted him. He's really developed. I know he's known as kind of a cerebral player very intelligent. He's developed a great rapport with Demario Davis. Are the Saints believers that Pete Werner can be a mainstay, a starting linebacker next to Demario for years to come? Yeah, look, I think that's the belief, and this is why I don't think you've looked at Quan Alexander. I mean, again, I think Quan's going to latch on with somebody in training camp. You know, I know the Jets are probably a good, likely spot for him if New Orleans doesn't look his way, just because he's got familiarity with Robert Taylor, but. 
you know, as far as Pete Warner, I mean, I think this is the decision, right? And you look at snap counts from last year, uh, Alexander is kind of in the 45% range. Warner is more in like the 40% range. And look, I think Warner gives you some flash and sideline to sideline speed. I think he's only going to get better and develop more as a player. And look, as a rookie, I think he had a good campaign, right? And, and he made some really strong plays. Guy, when you look at him on the field, he looks kind of small, but when you get up close and personal and pads off, guy's built like a tank, right? And I just think he's got a lot to offer this season uh, in terms of just, you know, what he's going to be able to do. And, you know, the Saints, they like to run a lot of those two linebacker sets, and Warner's a, a smart guy. He can do a lot of things for you. And just kind of the way this league is going, you got to have guys that are agile and can move around quickly on the field. And Warner's a young guy that can do that. Um, you know, he's worked on some things like some tackling and, and such. So, look, I think the sky's the limit for him. And, you know, again, I think fans are really going to see what they saw in him when they picked him last year. Who's going to be the odd man out in the defensive secondary? It feels like it may be Roby, but I could be completely off base. Who do you think it's going to be? Well, if you're talking corners, I think Roby's fine. Uh, you know, Taylor's probably going to be your fourth guy. I think, obviously, Adebo and Lattimore. And, look, I think about this last year, the way they ran the defense. There were series where Roby would start. But, you know, obviously he hasn't been uh, doing too much. He just showed up yesterday, obviously, on the practice field. I think he's a guy that's watching camp. But, you know, I think when you look at the safety spot, that's really where your big competition is. I mean, they went from having, you know, kind of question marks, losing Malcolm Jenkins and Marcus Williams to now, they're loaded there. I mean, you it's not just Matthew. It's not just May. We brought back T.J. Williams. Uh, Justin Evans looks like he's catching on and he's trying to make a return to football. you got Sorensen, the veteran. Bryce Thompson is a guy that's looking pretty good. Smoke Monday's doing a lot more in special teams. So, look, I think from a corner perspective, Roby, especially after the deal that he, you know, to take a, a pay cut to stay with the team, uh, to help them out, I think he'll be fine, um, especially in terms of depth. I don't see any corners right now that are going to pass him up. But, uh, you know, that safety spot is really where I think is going to be one of the best camp battles just because there's so much depth there. A guy like Bryce Thompson has flashed. He's flashed all over. He's, he can play corner. He can play nickel. He can play safety. And that's a versatility of the Saints to covet. And he can play special teams. John, appreciate your time as always, brother. Keep up the tremendous work that you do for Sports Illustrated and so many other places. Appreciate your time as always, my friend. All right, man. Appreciate you as always. Thanks. Have a good one. It's John J. Hendricks. Covers New Orleans Saints for Sports Illustrated. We appreciate his time joining us there for the Big Easy Blitz. We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll finalize the poll question of the day, our foodie poll question of the week, and then we'll get you set up with for footnotes with George Faust. That's coming up next right here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Your home for the Houston Astros in Southwest Louisiana. Uh, Trails putting on a free all-day event this Saturday at Cafe 20.3 at 1500 General Mouton. In addition to the free paddling, there's also going to be a pate featuring live music to help out the Mile Zero heroes by raising awareness and funds to build the new Teat Fur Park and Boat Launch at Mile Zero 
on the Vermilion River. Donations and sponsorships are welcome. Trail will match up to $20,000 in donations. That's right. They're going to match up to $20,000 in donations. It's a great event. It's free. You get to paddle. You get to party. And it's for a great cause, our friends over at Trail. For more information, simply visit their website, www.latrail.org. That's www.latrail.org. I want to take a moment to thank our guest on this hump day edition of RP3 and Company, Travis Brown from the Bryan College Station Eagle. He covers Texas A&M, who's headed to the College World Series. Nick Suss from the Clarion Ledger. He covers the Ole Miss Rebels. They're headed to the College World Series as well. And, of course, John J. Hendricks, our friend from Sports Illustrated, giving us the latest from Saints minicamp. Poll question of the day, which is the foodie poll question of the week. What is your go-to cool treat during a hot day? We also discussed it with Hannah Five Names, Daryl, and Steve earlier on the show as well. We all gave different options, gave different answers, if you will. Winning the vote. 45% of you say snow cones, or as Hannah likes to refer to them because she's from Slidell, snowballs. Snow cones slash snowballs, even though they're the same thing, they're just presented in a different way. (laughs) Just saying. 45% say snow cones. 24% say freezer pops, which is my go-to. 21% say watermelon. And 10% of you said ice cream thanks to all who voted on the poll question of the day our foodie poll question of the week i know it's challenging to vote on these things and you have to make tough decisions but i appreciate everyone that put themselves out there this morning and did just that especially jpk the od who took which it looks like a dreamsicle (laughs) pop dreamsicle ice cream and put it into what i would assume is a glass of bourbon so (laughs) i would have to say you like i think to match well with the ice cream that we think it is i think it would have to be like captain morgan or like i would hope so or like screwball because like tastes like uh reese's oh there we go so those two things would match well together but like magical together she says yes but as always it's five o'clock somewhere it is 5 o'clock somewhere. You're not wrong there. Samantha says frozen grapes is her go-to. Ooh, <laughs> coming in late, but I like it. Woo, we had a good show today. We'll try to be better tomorrow. For Steve Wiley, the intern extraordinaire, Daryl, the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, I'm Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. Footnotes with guest host George Faust is next right here on the game. 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.